G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Would you please pray with me? Our great God in heaven, you have been God all down the ages. You have been the God of your people through good times and bad, easy times and tough times, very long seasons of uh, both prosperity and persecution and all kinds of trouble. Father, we pray that by delving into the prophet Joel today, that we might learn from your voice, from you, how to live in our day. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Wake up. Pay attention. Oi, listen up. Don't go dozing. This is important. Yeah, we know, we know. We know we're all going to die. Yes, we know, said the people in response to Joel. No, said Joel, it is something more important. More important. Are you listening? Something that you've been putting off, something that you have been fobbing off. And it's time to pay attention. Wake up. Well, welcome, folks, to our first week out of four weeks in the prophet Joel, in this punchy little prophet from the Old Testament. I think it's fair to say that much of this year so far, we've been really looking at the big names. You know, we started off with Jesus right at the start of the year, do you remember, leading up to Easter? And uh, then who do we have? Abraham from the book of Genesis, one of the big books of the Old Testament. More recently, Paul's writings. Yes, in a little letter, but I mean, it's Paul, you know, a big name, Paul. Paul, Abraham, Jesus. Well, these four weeks, we're delving into some lesser trod stuff of the Old Testament. Joel was God's prophet at a time when, uh, let me quote here, to the people of the time of Joel, the day of the Lord meant the day when Yahweh, that's God, would intervene to put Israel at the head of the nations, irrespective of Israel's faithfulness to him. Let me say that again. To the people, the day of the Lord meant the day when God would intervene to put Israel at the head of the nations, irrespective of Israel's faithfulness or faithlessness to Him. The tenor of their time, in other words, was, how would you put it, kind of complacency, irrespective of their faithfulness to Him. Yeah, yeah, we know, at least towards God. She'll be right. I'm okay, you're okay, Joel, don't get too upset, he's okay, God's okay, we're all okay here. Such was the spiritual temperature of Joel's time, that was their spiritual temperature, but it wasn't, I suppose, their experience in the rest of life. I'm just going to dive straight into Joel chapter 1 again here and and sort of uh, see the experience of life for them unfold before us get a real sense of it. I I think if you, let me just give you this um, to kind of hang your memory. If if Joel is a little bit unfamiliar to you as a book, I'd understand that. Let me give you one word to um, hang it all on. The word is this, locusts. And uh, we'll see in just a moment. Uh, But the key thing that I'm hoping that we'll grasp just in this first encounter with Joel is this, the capacity of life circumstances to foster complacency 
among God's people, the capacity of life circumstances to foster complacency among God's people and we hear into that this call from Joel, this call to turn a corner, won't you? So let's dive straight in to Joel chapter 1. You'll see why in just a moment it is such a compelling little moment in Israel's history or should I say Judah's history, I think the northern kingdom are wiped out by this stage, I think we're just dealing with Judah, here we go, Joel chapter 1 and verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel, hear this, you elders, listen, all who live in the land, has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Tell it to your children and tell your children to tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. All right, I'd like you, you're going to, for this little bit, we're going to have to imagine a world where communication was a little different, a world where you didn't Instagram your lunch and then tweet your dissatisfaction with the service and then Facebook to see who wanted to go out for dessert afterwards. No, back in the old days where communication happened, when someone spoke and another person actually listened. Tell it to your children, let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. Now, is it good news or bad? Verse 4, it's pretty bad. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. You might find this surprising. The the Hebrews, they had something like nine different words for locusts. Four of them are used in this one verse. It's just wave upon wave, these locusts, in this really terrifying scene, in a way. Plague on top of plague. And for us moderns, Perhaps we're expecting something a little bit more, you know, frightening. If he's saying, wake up, listen, pay attention, this is terrible, you're going to tell it to the generations after you, nothing like this has ever happened, maybe we'd be thinking, well, this must be really bad, it must be war or something. You know, where are the soldiers? Where are their frightening weapons? Where are their, you know, carrying the women and children off into... No, 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 but we need to understand, of course, that in some ways locusts were far more devastating than a regular army because theirs was a slow death. You wipe out the plants and you wipe out the store of grain, well, that's two years. That is a slow death that'll take two years right there. Famine and death, says Leslie Allen. Famine and death stared in the face of a society not privileged to know about the can opener, let alone international relief schemes. So difficult for us to wrap our heads around, isn't it? Locusts, why would they be so frightening? I heard a story recently um, from back in 2005. Back in 2005, there was a mudslide uh, in a little area called La Conchita in Santa Barbara in the States. And uh, it was just it was one of these freak accidents where um, uh, some people died, but that's not what I, want, what I want to talk about. It was this mudslide that just isolated the community. It just happened to, uh, to wipe out the rail and the road, the major arterial routes in and out of this whole region. A very um, uh, um, uh, rich kind of a region in terms of agriculture, like uh, Santa Barbara produces more than a billion dollars of food every year, so really, really rich, fertile area, right? Mudslide isolates this little part of it. Anyway, um, here's the scene as the podcast described it. 
So Santa Barbara couldn't ship its produce down to the distribution centres in LA or anywhere else, nor could it ship uh, uh, produce in. But that wouldn't seem to be a problem since Santa Barbara grows so much. You'd think that the grocery stores would still have plenty of fruits and veg. Sadly not. Here's someone who was there. We had produce sections that were empty. And here's farmers with boxes of harvested fruit and vegetables that their distributors can't pick up. And so farmers said, oh yeah, we went and talked to the produce manager at this grocery chain and we said, look, we've got stuff that we can't get out and you can't get anything in, let's make a deal. And they were told, no, sorry, we've got a contract. (laughs) Forward slapping stuff, isn't it? And that's that's just for a, a few weeks. And that's just the grocery uh, deals and our day and age. No doubt the shelves were still packed with the tins. We live in an age where we know the benefit of the can opener. Put yourself back. The plants are gone. The grain supply for next year's sowing is gone. Now let's read on in Joel. What we're looking at is a two-year slow march toward the grave and it haunts these paragraphs such was the experience indeed it haunts the whole book it haunts these next paragraphs and it's like Joel is now running around the town grabbing people and shaking them and hammering them come on wake up listen pay attention to what is going on around you from a spiritual side of things. Verse 4, we read, uh, what the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten, what the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten, what the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten, wave upon wave, plague upon plague. Verse 5, he starts with the drunkards. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. It's like the locusts themselves have become this army that walks through the street and would even grab the bottle out of the hand of the drunkard. Verse 6, a nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches White, And now I think he uh, turns to the priests, away from the drunkards and toward the priests, and uh, has this horrible picture when you think about it in verse 8 of a, um, a young woman mourning instead of marrying. Verse 8, mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the husband of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined, the ground is dried up, the grain is destroyed, the new wine is dried up, the oil fails and now he turns to the farmers, verse 11, despair you farmers, wail you vine growers, grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered, the pomegranate, the palm and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up I find this next verse, I I think it's the one that kind of gets my heart. Surely the joy of mankind is withered away. You think about the pleasure that there is in food and drink. You think about how much food means to you and sharing it with other people, the good times that you've had around a table with a full plate in front of you and by the end a satisfied belly and good times and good smiles. 
a good glass of wine, whatever it is, surely the joy of mankind is withered away. Does that help you feel the weight of it? Gosh. To the people, the day of the Lord meant the day when Yahweh would intervene to put Israel at the head of the nations, irrespective of Israel's faithfulness to him. Complacency with God. It is a subtle thing. And from where we're sitting, of course, you know, so many centuries later, in relative wealth, with such security, with such security in our food supply, well, put it this way, I I don't think that it's our place to sit in judgment over Joel and his mates because, oh, look at them, the threat of starvation didn't jolt them to action, it didn't jolt them out of their complacency. In fact, just a side note here, we're going to be talking a fair bit about the day of the Lord uh, because Joel does, it's one of his biggest themes, it's probably his biggest theme. Um, Just a side note, I don't think it's our place to call down this day of the Lord business on just anyone who's going through disaster. Can you think of examples when preachers or churches have done that um, in the past? You know, they seem to pronounce the day of the Lord has come upon this country or that people or this subgroup What I see here in Joel is a prophet of God at a very particular time in history with a word from God about that very particular time in history to speak to the people of God and say, hey, this plague of locusts, this ought to tell you that it's the very judgment of God, the day of the Lord, the end of the world as you know it, this, this particular one, why, how do I know that? Because God has told me in this particular circumstance to be this particular prophet in this particular time, do you see? Very context-bound. That's a little different from us having carte blanche on every tragedy and every other poor person enduring suffering. Anyway, nevertheless, said Joel, for you guys right now, wake up, verse 13, put on sackcloth, O priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. You see, it's a call to action. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God, for the grain offerings and the drink offerings are withheld from the presence of your God, sorry, the house of your God. Why is that? Probably because they didn't even have enough food to bring anything to the temple to put before God. Verse 14, declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It'll come like destruction from the Almighty. I think the other reason I get uncomfortable about criticising those silly people back then for being complacent about God in the midst of their starvation is simply this. I get complacent about God for far lesser reasons than starvation. Are you with me? I feel that the call, wake up Bernard, pay attention Bernard, get back on track before God Bernard, call a a holy fast, a sacred assembly, come before God won't you Bernard? Don't believe the subtle lie that irrespective of faithfulness to him, you'll be put at the head of things, no. If I'm hearing Joel right, there will be times in my life where Joel's words are exactly what I need to hear, just what we need to hear perhaps. Yeah, maybe not literal sackcloth, put on sackcloth and mourn, come and spend the night in sackcloth, not literally, but alas for that day, verse 15, 
for the day of the Lord is near. It'll come like destruction from the Almighty. I need the wake-up call out of my complacency. To bring this home, okay, so we've seen the locust plague at a specific time in the people of Israel and God's comment on it through the prophet Joel. Come on, wake up, people. I wonder to bring it home if we could move through to the New Testament now, to that Matthew reading, Matthew chapter 3. Um, and I'll say more about this next week, but biblically, the day of the Lord, such a, a rich theme in Joel, in the New Testament we find to be the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord becomes the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And is it past? Well, in a sense, it's past in the death and, uh, in the life and death of Jesus. Is it present? Well, in a sense, he reigns now. He lives now. It's present. In a sense, it's future as well. In the day of judgment, the return of Jesus. It's all three, past, present and future. But I wonder if in light of Joel chapter 1, we could just have a look at the words of John the Baptist in, uh, in Matthew chapter 3, John, the one who stood on the cusp of the day of the Lord and preached a very similar message to Joel. Come with me to Matthew chapter 3 and let's pick it up from verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, and can you hear notes of Joel here, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of by uh, through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. See, he's preparing, in a sense, for the day of the Lord, prepare the way of the Lord. Verse uh, 4, John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. What were they doing? confessing their sins, verse 6, they were baptised by him in the Jordan. I read these stories of uh, these first believers and their, their faith, it seems so simple, doesn't it? They come uh, to John in this case and later to Jesus, there is this lively simplicity about their faith, a beautiful simplicity that is raw, it is open, that has been confronted by the reality of the day of the Lord. And it just cuts through and so they want to repent and believe in the Lord. But beware, here come the entitled people, the complacent people, those who think that the judgment will come but never on them, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptising, John said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that doesn't produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit uh, uh, to carry. He'll baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He'll clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with un unquenchable fire. Wake up, said John. Wake up, said Joel. Pay attention. Listen up. Don't go dozing. This is important. Now, as we begin our series in Joel, 
Here's the really simple question that I'd love for us to chew on. Has our faith got that lively simplicity, that lively simplicity, that repentance and faith that comes with a, with a preparedness to meet Jesus, with a sense that we already have met Jesus in the Gospel, with a sense that we are living with Jesus day by day by His Spirit. Do we have that lively simplicity, just repentance and faith, like those first believers? Let us live as people who could never be described as complacent in our faith, but as people who come to God in Christ with life's up and downs and life's distractions. Well, to close, I'll borrow that phrase from Ephesians 5, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. How about we pray? Great God in heaven, thank you that you are active in this world, that you care about good and evil and that you've set a day when you will make it right, set things right. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus and for his bursting into this world. Thank you for his ministry, for his death for us, for his life from the grave, for his promise of return. Father, we pray that as children of God who believe in that, that we might not be complacent as the people in Joel's day, but that we'd hear that call to wake up and be lively in our faith, even day by day. Dear God in heaven, we pray that you would work that in us, that lively simplicity, that you'd guard our hearts against becoming complacent and entitled. Father, we need your work in this. Uh, We need you to work humility in us, that repentance might be a daily practice, that coming before you and with an awareness of our sin and an awareness of your holiness might be a day-by-day thing for us, a real thing, a genuine thing, not just put on, not a show, but God, a, a thing of the heart. Father, we pray that you would work in us, please, uh, an acute awareness that we live our lives before the Lord of heaven and earth. Would you please work that in us, even this week we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.